Well, that was cute. Y'all almost had enough courage to clap for the band, which I appreciate. It was kind of like, a, uh, is that okay here? You can do that, by the way. Um, I want to say thank you to the front three rows for that. That was impressive, guys. Um, hey, we're uh, we're doing something before we get launched into the sermon today uh, that we're getting ready towards Easter. Uh, if you're new here, then this might be a little bit different from what a church um, has done. And we actually talked about it last week. But let me tell you before I tell you what we're going to do, because we're all going to participate in this. I'm going to tell you why we're going to do it, because the why we always believe informs the what. Um, what we all know, and whether you've actually uh, spent time thinking about this or not, is that if you ever go to an event, and by an event, I would just define that as something that you drive with a group of people, or you, you know, meet a group of people at something, um, and you watch it, you participate in it, whatever it is, when you drive and you go to a thing, the thing that you go to is best experience when you can sit with the people that you came with. Uh, it's pretty simple. If you go to a great movie, great movies are great movies, but great movies are especially great movies if you're with a group of people and you're able to sit down in the same row and there's nothing worse than when you go to a movie theater and you walk in and you think, great, so two of us are going to sit here, one of us is going to sit over there, and one of us is going to sit over there. And what happens every Easter is you guys do an incredible job of inviting your friends, you invite your family, you invite your coworkers, you invite the parents that you met at your kid's daycare. I mean, you guys just do an extraordinary job of inviting people And the truth is, it's difficult sometimes um, to have a space for everybody to sit. And so what we wanted to do um, leading up to this Easter was to make sure as best as we could that everybody has a place to sit. And and here's here's what we know truthfully too, and this is why this is especially specific to this service. We track all the cards that people fill out when they show up and they go to the first time. And as you know, you leave and you can fill one out and you can uh, get a shirt. And, and what we do is we take all of the, that, that stuff and what we you know, compile a bunch of data to help us make decisions as an organization. And what we know is that the majority of guests that come to our church um, show up at the 10 o'clock service. Easter is the Sunday when guests are most likely to show up in the entire calendar year. That is to say, if it's your first time to church or your first time back to church in a long time, Easter Sunday has a huge target on that back. And what we want to do as a church is be most open and available to receive guests when guests are most likely to come. And let me tell you why. Because when we read the scriptures, that's what Jesus did. When he saw his son his prodigal, the loving, the loving father saw this prodigal who was turning back. And, you know, we're not calling you prodigal, but, you know, you're sinful, whatever. You know, but, you know, he was turning back. And he didn't, he didn't say, oh, man, we'll, we'll see if he's, you know, if he gets here on time, you know, then, then he'll have a place at my table. No, he saw him. I mean, he ran and he embraced him and he loved him and he welcomed him. And so we want to be able to do that as a church. So here's what we have concocted, okay? We don't know if it's going to work, but if you know anything about our church, we love to try stuff that we don't know is going to work, but we really think think it is. Okay. So we're going to do something that you may have never done in a church service. And then we're going to be done with our commercial for the day. Okay. I want everybody to get out your cell phone. Now I'm not going to tell you to turn it off. I'm not going to be that teacher. Okay. But I want everybody to go ahead and get out your cell phone and I'm going to have you text a number. And here's what it's going to do. You're going to text a number, um, and it's going to send you a link back. And what it's going to do is it's going to send you a link that you can click on. And if you are going to be here for Easter, we want 100% participation. If you're going to be here for Easter, we want you to click on that link, and we want you to RSVP for church that Sunday. Let me tell you why. 
when you go to the link and you RSVP, it will tell you what percentage each service is full once a particular service gets past 20%. So you can know when you show up on Easter Sunday that you and your crew have a place to sit. Now, if you are a regular here at DCC, we're going to ask you the best way that you can serve your church is to make space for other people at this, the 10 o'clock service. So we want some of you to go from type B to type A personalities, okay? And start getting up a little bit earlier. Or for some of you, man, we want you to go from like type B to type like, you know, what I was in school, like D slash C, you know? And you can just go to the 1130 service. But either way, um, here's the number. It's 555-888-555-888. And you can text DCC. And as over the next couple of minutes, um, as you're clicking on it and I see the little glow on your screen, here's what I want you to know. What an obedient child of God, okay? So just want you to know you have full permission to text. And if you're, if you're here and you're like, man, I'm not coming to this place again, just text your friend, right? No one will ever know. You just say, dude, this church is weird, not coming back, send, okay? Feel, feel free. So um, in fact, you can even text while I pray, okay? But I'm gonna pray for us to introduce this next thing. So DCC to 555-888, let us pray for your cell phone. Heavenly Father, Jesus, we thank you that you have given us a... Uh, a responsibility. You have given us a charge to love and to serve anybody and everybody. We all have backgrounds. We all have past. We all have histories. We've all had that day, that time, that week, that month, that Sunday where we decided to show up for the very first time. And God, this morning as we gather together, whether it's our first time, our 10th time, our 100th or perhaps our 1,000th time in a church like this, would you please speak to each one of us individually through your word. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. All right. So the connection paradox as as a series about prayer uh, is basically wrapped around this pretty simple idea that many of us are connected to God somehow. We were all kind of taught to pray or many of us were taught to pray when we were little or at least taught that we ought to pray. Um, and we had a bunch of different variations of prayer. Some of, it, some of us, it was, you know, repeat these words. Some of us, it was kind of a formula of a prayer. But we were all taught we ought to pray. Or, you know, for you, perhaps you weren't growing up in a religious, you didn't grow up in a religious household. And prayer for you was kind of what you understood other people to pray as, you know, you went to that one family and they went to church and they went to Sundays afterwards and they all sat down and it felt like they were having a seance, you know, and again, somebody got baptized with sweet tea and everybody said, amen. And, and you thought, okay, this is weird, but you know, it kind of informs you how to pray. And for all of us, almost no matter what you believe, you've prayed at some point, at some point in life, you've probably prayed for some of you. Again, it's a regular, it's a habit, it's a pattern for some of you. It's a holy cow. I got a test or I got a quiz, or I didn't know this project was due at work. God, please. I don't know what I'm going to pray, but if you would just light this building on fire, fire, like just, you know, but nobody get hurt, right, God? So just, you know, whatever it is. But we've all probably prayed at some point, but very few of us have ever actually been taught how and why to pray. And so because of that, we have all kinds of questions, whether we've actually been honest enough with ourselves to ask or not. If we were to think critically for a few minutes, you probably, and I probably, and we all probably have questions about prayer. And we talked about some of these last week, how it seems like God's priorities in prayer can be a little bit off, that there's this, there's this big weighty life issue. There's this news that you got that the illness is back. There's this news that you got that things are not going to be the same, that it's terminal, that car wreck, or there's news that you got that you're no longer going to have a job and you have responsibility and you have family. And you prayed and you prayed and you prayed for healing and you prayed for provision. You prayed for all these things and nothing happened. 
And then one day, you're running late, and you need to hit a green light or two, and you pray and say, God, if you're there, you know, green lights, and it's just green light, green light, green light. And you're like, okay, you know, that, that, was, that was cool and all. Um, or you prayed for a parking spot, and that was great and all. Or you prayed for the quiz, and maybe you were great, or maybe the building did unfortunately catch on fire, which is the opposite of somebody's prayer. In fact, prayer is kind of funny because everybody on a football team prays for their team. And so, like, you know, one of them's going to win, one of them's going to lose because nobody likes to tie. And so it's like, which one's God is real? And so, you know, we pray that our God is stronger because we still have the saint of Bobby Bowden that pushes us forward in the spiritual realm. But we're a basketball school anyway. So that's uh, just kidding. Just kidding. <clears throat> hey, City Church, it's a great church. You should go there, okay? Now, but isn't this true? If you ever stood back, stood, stood back and kind of you know, questioned it all, the reality is is that it seems like some of the more weighty prayers that God ought to answer, he doesn't answer. And sometimes the more meaningless prayers, the more inconsequential prayers don't get answered. And sometimes for many of us, this is the conclusion we've come to, is that prayer doesn't actually work. In fact, all prayer is essentially is this. God's already going to do what God's already going to do if you believe in God. And all prayer is is simply categorical recognition right? You never knew how many red Camrys there were until you bought a red Camry. And now that you have entered that category, you now see those patterns because our brain picks things up in patterns, especially when we pray for them. And so isn't prayer just kind of categorical recognition? And if it's not, then how do I reconcile this loving God, this powerful God who seems like the prayers that anybody would answer go unheard. And the prayers that, that are just so kind of meaningless and frivolous, it's there. And wasn't it just kind of going to happen anyway? And if you've ever wondered any or all of those questions, the beautiful thing is you are on the precipice of discovering perhaps there's more to prayer than we originally thought. And Jesus, frankly, was the only one bold enough to say this is how you should pray. And I think the reason why he was the only one that was bold enough is because to say, this is how you should pray, assumes that's not how you should pray. In other words, he heard his disciples praying. In fact, one time his disciples came to him and they said, you know, master, teacher, teach us to pray. In other words, we have heard you praying and the way that you pray is different than how we pray. Can you teach us how you pray? And you know what Jesus didn't say? Oh, I don't have to teach you. You know that. Prayer is just talking to God. You just, you know, God comma, you know, and then, and then say your thing. He said, okay, let me teach you then how to pray. Last week, as we were kind of catching up to where Jesus, he went through a preamble where he stops and he, he, he before he gets into how you pray, he says, here's some things you need to know about prayer. Number one is I don't want you to pray on the, you know, the street corners like the hypocrites do. I want you to go into your room. I want you to close your door and I want you to pray to your father who is unseen. Here's the point. There is a huge difference Huge difference between communication that's surface level in the by and by of life. Who's picking up the kids? Who's dropping off the kids? What do we have for dinner? What's your schedule? What's my schedule? What do we have going on this weekend? And actually having deep, uninterrupted, meaningful conversation. So he says, first, I don't want you to have the surface level version of this. I want you to go in your room. I want you to close your door. And I want you to pray to your father who was unseen. And by the way, when you get there, I don't want you to be like all the pagans. Man, they just, they pray and they pray for days and days and weeks. And they just, they think that God is going to be impressed by all of their words. And they just prayed so much. And he says, before you, you know, kind of enter that category, I want you to know 
that God knows what you need before you even ask him, to which many of us would say, that's the problem. If he already knows, then why am I spending so much time asking him for what he already knows that I need? Which Jesus would just kind of reply with these next couple of verses. Perhaps there's more to it than what we first assumed. So he starts off in verse 9 of chapter 6 as he's giving the Sermon on the Mount, which is not a gigantic sermon to a bunch of people. He's actually sitting on a mountain talking to his close disciples. He says, pray then, verse 9, like this. We talked a little about this first statement last week, but we're going to couple it with a second statement. He says, our Father in heaven. In other words, God has invited us to not approach him as God, that we would bend his will. And this was probably very different for them because God to them, I mean, God was, God was holy. God was other than God was set apart. He says, our Father in heaven, hallowed. That means set apart, sanctified, holy is your name. He said, hallowed be your name. And here's why I love how he contrasts these two ideas. Let me kind of tease this out a little bit. For most of us, we view God in one of two categories. And to be frank, I think it's a little bit generational. If you are maybe above or under 35 years old or maybe 40 years old, somewhere in that threshold, um, we tend to think of God more as father than we do as holy. We were the generation that um, introduced this, uh, these hats and these shirts that our grandparents wanted to kill us for, right? And it said, Jesus is my homeboy, you know? And, and you went to the barbecue or the family cookout with that, and your, parents, or your grandparents were like, I'm, they're, they're sinners. You know, this generation, <laughs> their cell phones, you know, and their Wi-Fi Wi-Fi grandma. Anyway, you know, we just, we, we looked at that and we thought, <laughs> reeling back in. Anyways, we thought, you know, <clears throat> Our heavenly father, it's this personal. We were the generation that grew up with an intimate God, a God that we would know, a God that knew us, a God that was father. But here's the problem is we can get so ingrained in this God who is so personal as our heavenly father that we forget that he is holy. We're going to learn in a second that's incredibly important because if it's my father, that means I can trust him. But if he's not holy, If he's not bigger, if he's not greater, if he's not grander than I am, then that means I don't think that I can actually trust him because he knows what's best. You see, if God is great, if God is the most incomprehensible being, all-knowing being, then no matter what he asks, I'm okay with. Because he's holy. But here's what we also know, and if you're a leader, you know this. One of the difficult things that you balance as a leadership is how to have authority with the people that you lead, yet at the same time have intimacy. In fact, pastorally, they used to call this thing like the pastoral like cloak or the, or the pastoral you know, kind of set-apartness, that it was not good for a pastor to have too much interaction with their congregation because they didn't need to have interaction with their congregation because the congregation wanted to see somebody who was holy. I think people these days want to see a pastor who's real, but I think at the same time, here's the deal. Familiarity by nature breeds disrespect. This is why you don't say yes, ma'am, and no, ma'am to your parents, but you do to everybody else's parents. I used to get in so much trouble about that because we're familiar. 
But on the other side, right, if you are maybe above that 35 to 40 year old range, God for you perhaps was, was presented in a way that God is holy. God is set apart. God is almost unapproachable. That God is this God who is not intimate. He is holy. He is grand. I love the way that David, as he's praying in the Psalms, kind of reconciles these two in the Old Testament. And this is what he says. He says, God, when I think about basically who you are, when I think about all that you've done, when I think about as you have hung all these stars in the sky, God, as I think about the greatness and the grandness of you, who am I that you would even know my name? Jesus starts off and says, look, look, look. Let's begin by knowing the greatness and the intimacy of God. That we don't pray to God because we think that perhaps if we do enough and if we act enough and if we behave enough, God's going to be happy with us and he's going to listen to us. No, 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 no. We pray to our Father Because we realize that we are sinful. And God has sent his son Jesus to die for us. And because of that, we don't pray to God to make God happy. God is already happy with us because of the price that Jesus paid. Therefore, we are pleased to talk to our father. So he continues on. He says, our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. He says, your kingdom come in your will be done. Now, for, again, for many of us, most of our prayer is kind of the opposite. And, and it's not that, you know, we're bad people. It's just that nobody ever kind of maybe taught us. But he says, God, I got a lot of stuff I'm about to pray about, or, you know, I got a lot of things that I'm going to get to. But I want you to know, before I get to any of those things, God, your kingdom before my kingdom, your will before my will. Most of our prayers are the opposite. God, would you grant me my will so that you can build my kingdom? Now, if God is not holy, being he is sufficient and he is grand, and if he isn't a father with whom I have intimacy that I know I can trust because I know my God and I know my father, it is very difficult to submit your kingdom and your will to a God that you do not know, or at least do not know the fullness of. So he says, come on. God, your kingdom come, your will be done. In fact, we just sang it. And the truth is, is this is very easy in principle to sing and to talk about. But it is incredibly difficult to do on a daily basis. It's really difficult. In fact, for me, this is the most difficult part because I have a lot of will and I have a lot of desire and I have a lot of drive. And I just, this is what I want. But to spend time in prayer and say, okay, God, your will, not my will. But I think, by the way, the older that you are, the, the more difficult this becomes. Because, right, you're in high school, and you, you know, pray, God, anything you want, your will be done, you know. It's like, <clears throat> you don't have anything for my be done. You know, it's like, God, I give you everything. It's like, what you have is your parents. You don't have anything yet, you know. But then, you, you know, you kind of grow up, and you get some stuff, and you, 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 you know, get some school and education and a career path. And then perhaps, you know, you get married, maybe you have kids, maybe you have a house. You just have more and more and more and more and more responsibility. But to, to stand on the precipice and just say, God, 
My life is a blank check, your will before mine. I will do anything. I will go anywhere. God, you just say it, your will, not mine. If you are young, this is so important because it only gets harder the more responsibility you have and the more people who are counting on you. Because to me now, your will be done affects my family and our entire church and the entire meat company. I'm by vocation, by the way, in case that didn't connect with you. If you're new here, you're like, what is he talking? Okay, so like there's just lots of people. For me, this is the part of prayer that I think you might not get past this point. And it might be, okay, we'll just come back to that point tomorrow. Pick up where you left off. But for us to spend time wrestling and saying, God, my heart, my desire is to have my will be done in you to build my kingdom. But God, before I get to anything that I have going on in life, God, your kingdom and your will be done. By the way, so thoroughly that it happens on earth as it is in heaven. Because God, there's no doubt that in your will and in heaven, your will is perfectly executed and accomplished. There is no resistance or hesitancy, and I feel resistance and hesitancy. So God, would you please help me to submit myself to your will, that your will would be done in me and through me while I'm here on earth as I know it is in heaven. So we declare the glory of God, the greatness of God, Submit our will to his will. And he continues. He says, so by the way, give us this day our daily bread. Give us this day our daily bread. And for some of us, we're like, finally, man, I've got some stuff I need prayer about. I've got some stuff that I've been, been looking towards. But when they understood this, he was talking to a primarily Jewish audience. And they understood this in a much different context than we did. When he said this, this elicited so much imagery towards the nation of Israel as they wandered through the desert. If you're not familiar with that part of the Bible in the Old Testament, the nation of Israel, who was kind of the God squad before Jesus showed up, they wandered through the desert for a long time. And every day, every day, every day, God would provide this manna, this bread from heaven so that they wouldn't go hungry, so they wouldn't starve to get to death as they spent about 40 years in the desert. So as he was saying, and so give us our daily bread, this isn't okay, God. And so here's the things that I need. It was God. I am so dependent on you. God, yes, I have some stuff going on. I'm going to ask for it. And I'm going to, you know, pray and help and, you know, my friends and my family and the world. God, I just want you to know. God, you're great. And whatever you decide, I'm cool with. But I want you to know for these things, I'm simply dependent on you. I'm in need of you. And see, I've got some stuff. But my stuff isn't a a test to see if you will come through for me. It's me simply saying, God, I acknowledge that I just want to be in alignment with your will. I want to be subservient to your will, whatever you want done. But God, I am so dependent on you. This is difficult for us because we oftentimes don't live in a place where we see ourselves as dependent. But how would that change things? If every day you woke up. It just simply declared the glory of God, the greatness of God. It said, God, whatever your will is, whatever's best for your kingdom, God, help me to do that. And God, I want you to know, and all the things that are going on in my life, God, I'm just so dependent on you. He continues and he says, so give us this daily, our daily bread. He said, by the way, as we interact with other people, 
would you forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors? In other words, God, we know that we have been forgiven, so would you help us just to forgive other people? Would you help us to interact in that way, in that level? And he says this, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. I love how he says, and lead us not into temptation. I think the implication is, and lead us not into temptation, because we can find that all on our own, right? It's like, I don't need any help finding that. But what I do need help with is help to deliver me from evil. Now, in some translations, uh, there's an addendum to this where it says, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. And then it's great at a wedding because, you know, send the kingdom, you know, and the glory. They, they did that whole thing, and it's a wonderful ending because it doesn't really sound good when he just says, and deliver us from evil. <laughs> What's funny is he didn't even say amen. It's like, Jesus, I don't know if you know how to end a real prayer, okay? We always say amen. How does God know you're done? You know, you got to hit the, you know, the hang-up button at some point. There's some text stuff that happened. There was, you know, there's some scholarship that happened, and they've then subsequently found some, some much earlier text that didn't include any of that kind of stuff. So most modern translations have now taken that out. But, but the truth is, 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 is I love how he ends this. She says, God, help, help me to forgive other people. God, you know, and remind me that I have been forgiven of all my debts. I have been forgiven of so much. I mean, God, you forgave me on the cross. I think this was foreshadowing on Jesus' part. You forgave me so much when you forgave my sins. So, God, please help me to keep in, that in mind as people have done stuff to me, people have transgressed against me, people have wronged me. Please help me to live a life that I just, you know, I don't hold stuff against people because, God, you didn't hold anything against me. And, by the way, if you could help me to just not, you know, if you could help me to not just steer into temptation, but if you could, in fact, instead deliver me because I found plenty of temptation on my own because I want to live a life worthy of you. Now, this would change, I think, our prayer because this prayer has nothing to do with my will and my agenda. This prayer has everything to do with his will his glory, his sufficiency, my dependency, his forgiveness and my remembrance, his delivering me from the temptation and the evil that I have already found myself in. Now, now here's why I think this is incredibly important. For many of us, we don't think about it in these terms, but prayer is essentially a negotiation with God. God, I'm going to pray, and I'm going to ask. And I'm going to pray, and I'm going to ask. And I'm going to pray, and I'm going to ask. And I'm going to pray, and I'm going to ask. And God, sometimes it's God, and if you do this, and I'm going to follow you forever. God, if you help with this, and I'm going to do stuff for you. Then, you know, God, if you would just provide, then I'm going to give for the first time. God, if you would just, and we negotiate back and forth with God. And if you've ever been in a real negotiation, here's what you know. It is impossible to have relational intimacy with someone that you are negotiating with. I mean, a real relationship that's based on a negotiation. If you're in business, you know this, you've negotiated a contract, you've outsourced, you've done something, and you've negotiated what are the terms, you've negotiated what's the price going to be. And you would not, you, in fact, you would never describe that relationship as intimate. It's transactional. The problem is, is for many of us, we have taken an intimate God and by prayer put him in a transactional category. And so again, for some of us, we've come to the conclusion that prayer doesn't work and perhaps God doesn't exist. 
but perhaps. And in fact, I would say, as Jesus taught us, it was much different than that. Prayer, as, as, as he would begin to unpack it, had nothing to do with other people, but it had everything to do with my intimacy and my relationship with him. It had everything to do with me positioning and posturing myself to say, God, I'm not going to be able to say your kingdom come and your will be done unless I first acknowledge your greatness, your goodness, your glory, and your intimacy. And when I do that, God, I still have some things that I want to submit to you. But, God, I just want you to know before I ask, before I tell you, and, in fact, when I'm telling you, God, I'm not saying you got to do this to prove it to me. Because, God, I know, just like any father, if my dad decides not to do something, it has nothing to do with whether my dad loves me or not. That I trust you because you're my father, and I'm just dependent on you. And so help me to live a life of forgiveness and help me to live a life that glorifies you with my holiness. And so if, if, let me just say this, if you did that, if you've been in here and you're here and here when you haven't been praying recently and regularly, I want to challenge you for five minutes, 10 minutes, starting today before your pet, your head hits the pillow tonight. And I'm sure you got a busy day and you got a bunch of stuff going on. And let me tell you, if you've got little kids, this is incredibly difficult. So here's what I want to tell you a little secret. Okay. You just say, I'm going to go take a shower. Okay. And you close the door and they might come knocking and knocking and knocking. And I get that, but you just say like, daddy's all gone, you know, and, and they'll be in therapy for it. But Hey, at least you prayed, you know, just kidding. But how would this, come on. How would this change your relationship with God? If this was the entirety of prayer, and inside there's something that says, yeah, but I have all these things going on, and I would say, yeah, exactly. So if you have all these things, all all these problems, perhaps all these things, these issues that are happening in life, or the people that you love in your life, or the people in the world that that you see that are just in equal, how much different would we view our world than when we view God? If before we got to any of that, we just said, God, you are our hollowed heavenly father. And I just want to sit under the incredible weight of that. Because, again, the truth is that sets everything up. I'll end with this kind of illustration. If you think of who your hero is, right? I mean, the person that you just think, Man, if I, could, if I could sit down with one person on planet Earth and just have breakfast with, talk to, have coffee with. You know, for me right now, it would probably be LeBron James because he's got a lot of time on his hands at this point. But I love him, okay? I'm telling you, he's my man. I would love to have breakfast with LeBron. But you, you, know, you know what I wouldn't do? I wouldn't say LeBron, by the way, now now that, you know, I'm I'm assuming you're paying for my breakfast. (laughs) But LeBron, now now that we're here, you know, I've got some things. um, You know, I would, uh, you've got almost a billion dollars at this point. So I've got this nice, you know, 76 or 66 Bronco, you know, that I want, you know, just, and it's not going to be anything to you, but but can you help me to get that vehicle? Because honestly, one of my dreams in life is is I want to be, I want to drive a car that's a hundred years old, but have it be a cool car at the same time. So, you know, LeBron, if you could just help that, I would love, you know, hey, you know, and I'll be, uh, and, and I'll come and I'll talk to you every day. He probably wouldn't want to have breakfast. 
And not that God is like, man, I don't want to have breakfast. You come, come, come on. To think about doing that, that's almost offensive. I would be so thankful that he wanted to spend time and hang out with me. What if, what if at the beginning of prayer, we understood that was the dynamic with the God who we were talking to? All I'm saying is what would flow from that would be your will, I'm dependent, and help me to live for you because I am just absolutely inspired and compelled that I have a holy, heavenly Father. So here's the challenge. Would you spend five minutes praying this? Not the Our Father who are just being five minutes working through this progression. And you might not get past your will be done, but that's okay. Pick it up tomorrow. You might not get past the, you know, you might not get past the hollowed heavenly father. That's okay. Pick it up tomorrow. But I think for those of us who walk with God, who those of us who follow Jesus, this would functionally change many of our lives and our relationship with him. And I think that if you're just on the precipice of church and Christianity, not really sure what you believe in, perhaps this is why you left God in the first place. Perhaps you would come to the realization that that wasn't the point of prayer and we have disqualified God for which something God never meant to be qualified through. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful that we get to talk to you. God, we rush into your presence and oftentimes forget your holiness, forget your greatness. We don't daily sit in awe of who you are. We daily sit in awe of all the problems and things that we have going on in life. Would you help us, inspire us, remind us that we are talking to you our extraordinarily holy, heavenly Father. And God, would you just align our will with your will? Would you help us to understand and realize our dependency on you and then live a life, live a life that mirrors you, that forgives because you forgave that lives in holiness, delivered from evil because through your son, Jesus, we are delivered. And I pray for every person in here, you would change our relationship with you through prayer as you taught us to pray. That we would spend five minutes, 10 minutes, however many minutes we've got to just work through this and remember you are hallowed heavenly father. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.